Remember when, when I was young, it, we used to wait for Christmas. And it was right after Thanksgiving and all of the decorations start going up. And it seemed like Christmas just took forever to get there. And we would just wait and wait and wait. And every day we'd have this calendar and we would check off the day, check off the day, check off the day. And, and it's like, well, when is Christmas coming? Because as a child, there was such a great hope, right? And, for, and to be honest, the hope wasn't for, um, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, it was that it was going to be a time where we were going to get presents, we were going to get toys, and then when Christmas came, we just couldn't wait. We'd wake up our parents before the sun was even up, and they would tell us to go back to bed, and then we'd have to go back to bed, and that hour or two just seemed like forever. And then we'd rush out and open our toys, and it was just a great experience for us with that hope that we had for a whole month was finally fulfilled, right? But then we get older, and, and then you, you kind of grow out of that toy stage, and, and you get into that, that clothes stage, right? And, and you know what you want, right? You know exactly what kind of clothes you want, what's in style, and for the most part, your parents do. But it's not always true of the extended family, Aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa, right? You know, they get you these clothes and before you used to anticipate it, now you open it up and you're going, oh gee, thank you. What, what, what am I going to do with this? You know? And, and so that hope that we had was no longer there. And, and then as you're an adult, we become so busy. We have hope that we could just make it through the season. And then we're hoping that it'll be over sooner than later, then we could get back to um, normal. But some of you might be experienced this season, 2020, without hope, or, or your hope might be waning, where it's been a difficult year for you, right? And we know that, you know, God is there. We know that we are looking forward to Christmas but somehow this feels just a little bit different. Where you're saying, why am I still doing this? Why am I doing all of these things to do my best to follow Jesus? Why do I believe this when it seems like God is distant? Where God is not answering our prayers. And at some point, all of us in our Christian uh, journey, we experience that. Will we experience the silence of God when we wonder, what am I getting out of this? And we tend to lose hope. But today we're going to take a look at a couple who lived faithfully year after year in a lot of pain and suffering. But in the midst of their silence, in the midst of God's silence in their lives, they were still faithful. Because Right before Christ came, there was a group of people who waited for the Messiah. They lived in obedience, and they were faithful because they thought one day, one day the Messiah would come. And many died without seeing the promise of the coming Messiah. And that could be your story. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. 
In the day of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commands and the statutes of the Lord. And so we see Luke opening up here, and we see there a couple, and it's um, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth, well, she was a PK, right? And so you see them serving the Lord and living faithfully. But just a little bit of history here. It's been about 400 years since Malachi was written, so it's been about 400 years where there was complete silence between the last prophet and the um, people of Israel. And so they were starting to wonder, you know, where is God in all of this? God, why are you silent? For 400 years they've been experiencing this. And because of this, you know, people slowly started to lose their faith and walk away because they said, you know what, we heard all of these stories about God, um, the power of God through Moses, through Joshua, through David, but it's been 400 years since we've heard anything from God. Is God still there? Especially in 65 BC when Pompey went and they conquered um Jerusalem, and he actually went in to the Holy of Holies. Now, back then, when God dwelt there, and the high priest would go and make a, a sacrifice for the people once a year, they would tie a rope around him. Because if that high priest heart wasn't right with God, if their life wasn't right with God, and he went into there, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, he would be killed. And so what they would do is, since anybody who went in there would kill, they had to tie a rope around him, and then they would just drag him out. Well, here, General Pompey goes in there. He's a pagan, and nothing happens. He goes around, looks around, and he comes out. And they were, first Israel were like, whoa, what's going on? He's crazy for going in there. But nothing happened. Where are you, God? Where are you? Are you no longer there? Is the Roman god Jupiter stronger than the god of Israel? And so people were losing hope and losing faith in God because it was 400 years of silence. But not Zechariah and not Elizabeth. Even though there were 400 years of silence since God spoke to Israel, they still remained faithful and lived righteously. Now, I would, ask, I would like to ask us this question. How many of us would do that? How many of us would still live faithfully and righteously in the absence of hearing God? Right? But they did. There was a faithful remnant of people who still believed in the promises of God. They still believed that the Messiah was coming. And even though they didn't hear from them for 400 years, they were going to worship the Lord, and be faithful. But it's even more amazing when we continue to learn about their story. In in verse uh, 7, Luke writes, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And so here we see that um, 
not only did they continue to serve God when God was silent, they were childless, right? They were childless. Now, they served God day after day without having an heir. And in that culture and at that time, being barren was the fault of the woman, where the woman was blamed for being childless. And both um, the woman and her husband would be seen as somebody who was guilty of some sin. Because back then, they viewed childless, if you couldn't have a child, they viewed that as a punishment from God. They were saying, okay, what sin did you commit that God has closed up your womb and not allowed you to have a child. And to make things worse, once again, in that culture, it was a male-dominated culture. And the only thing a woman was uh, good for was having children. And that's how they viewed women. That was the value of women in that day, that their self-worth, their identity came from having a child. Right, And maybe some of us could identify with this, right? Because how many times have we um, lived vicariously through our children where somehow our identity, we get our identity through them, whether it's in their academics or their sports or how they're doing in the arts or their career. We base our identity or part of our identity is based on the success of our children, right? But back then... Their identity was based on their ability to have children. If they didn't have children, that must mean God was punishing them for some sort of sin. That all of the people around them were pointing their fingers and saying, what are you guys doing? You guys need to repent of your sin. You need to ask God for forgiveness for whatever it is you're doing so he would stop punishing you. But both of them were old. Both of them were old. They suffered pain and shame and humiliation year after year after year. Of course, they prayed to God. But once again, this is in the period of that 400 years of silence, right? And year after year, they prayed. And the year after year, they weren't able to have a child, right? But nonetheless, nonetheless, they still lived righteously. They still were faithful. They still believed in the promises of God. In verse 8, the story continues. Now, while he was serving as priest before God and when his division was on duty... According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, this was an extreme honor to do this. And they believed that God's will was seen in the casting of Lot. So this time, um, the Lot was cast on Zechariah, and he got to light the incense and once again, I said this was a great honor because many priests lived their entire career with not, without having to with the opportunity to do this. But it says, and the whole verse ten, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side 
of the altar of the incense. Now, this is amazing. Remember I said that when the lot was cast on him, this was a very rare occasion. This was a very rare honor that a priest was able to light the incense. And many, many, most of the priests never did so. Why? Because there were so many of them that there was only one person that could do this so many lived their whole career without being able to do this so the one time the one time that he gets to go in there guess what an angel of the lord appeared standing on the right side of the altar is this coincidence no this is god's timing And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And if you take a look at, you know, how humans have experienced the presence of angels in the Old Testament, it was always filled with fear because they felt the presence of God with this angel, and there was fear that they felt, right? But what did this angel say? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, which is a standard greeting of angels. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He says, don't be afraid. But what has he said? For your prayer has been heard. Isn't that wonderful? I think for most of us, wouldn't it be enough to say, to hear or to know that God hears our prayer. That God knows and understands what you're going through. Even in the midst of 400 years of silence, their prayers did not go unheard. God didn't answer them until right now. No doubt they were praying this prayer ever since they were young and married. However, It was at this appointed time when they were told that God has heard their prayer. And for those of you who are going through a time of darkness right now, for those of you who are are going through a time of, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you doing something in my situation? We see here, here, this is proof that God hears your prayer. That God knows exactly what you're going through. He hears your prayer. And then he continues, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Of course, because here they've seen their friend go through years and years of pain and suffering and shame because they don't have a child. And because of the child, they will have a child that there will be much joy and gladness. And their friends, and their friends will be rejoicing with them. But, but, this is not why they're going to have joy and gladness. This is not why the friends are going to rejoice. Yes, they're going to rejoice because they were going to have a child. But this child was no ordinary child. In verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord and must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And get this. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This person, your child, 
is not an ordinary child. Yes, you've been waiting. Yes, you've been in pain and suffering. I've heard your prayer. But your child is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your child is going to turn the people of the nation of Israel back to God. That's what your child is going to do. And he will go, in verse um, 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow. You know, as a parent, as a parent, there is no greater honor, there is no greater news for you to hear is that your child, where God is going to use your child to turn people's hearts back to him. Right? And that wasn't just for John the Baptist. Parents, that could be your dream. That should be your dream today. That should be your prayer for your child or your children today. That when they grow up, they would have a heart for God. But not only for a heart for God so they could grow spiritually, but they would have the desire to turn people's hearts towards God. There is no greater joy that you could have as a parent than if your child does that. You know, there are many things that I'm proud about my son, Michael. You know, his accomplishments, the, you know, the man of God he's becoming. But the, one of the things I'm most proud of our son is that there's a desire in him to turn people's hearts to God. There's no greater joy. There's no greater pride I have in my son than when I see him do that. And brothers and sisters, parents, that could be you too. That could be you too. In verse 18, and um, Zachariah says, And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Does this sound familiar? Right? Isn't the same thing Abraham said, right? You think this is a priest, he would have figured that one out, right? That, okay, if this happened to Abraham and the angel of the Lord is saying it to me, it's got to be true. But what does he say? I'm old and, well, guess what? He committed the cardinal sin. He said, well, you know what? My wife is old too, right? Um, so no doubt he was sleeping outside that night when he was calling his wife old, Right? But he was questioning that. But the angel answered him. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He goes, and he said, I represent God. How could you ask me a question like that? We have hope. Because God can do beyond what we can even imagine. And this was well beyond what he imagined for himself and his wife. He, will, he probably said, okay, maybe Abraham. Yes, he was a father of our people. He was special. But, you know, you know, Elizabeth and I, we're nobodies, right? And this was beyond 
what he could imagine. But we have hope. Why? Because God can do beyond what we could even imagine. And in verse 20, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I love that. It says, which will be fulfilled in their time. There was an appointed time for this. 400 years of silence. Right? Yet, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they still faithfully served the Lord. Right? And we can have hope. Because everything that happens, happens at its appointed time. Right? You might say, well, God, you know what? I'm going through this year, and it seems like all the doors that I thought were open, they're all shut, right? I can't get a job, right? Here I thought the door was open, right? And it just slammed shut, and door after door after door after door is being slammed shut. Dream after dream after dream after dream is not coming true. You know, when is the time right? But one thing that I've known throughout my years is that God always opens the door at that appointed time. God's appointed time, not your appointed time. You know, when I was uh, first studying in ministry, I was an intern, and I had to oversee uh, two singles groups. The first group was a singles group that was right out of college to the age of 30. The second group was the 30 plus, and it just went on till as long as you were single. But it's interesting, the two groups really didn't mix with each other. Especially the younger group didn't want to do things with the older group because they said, oh man, they're 30, they're old, you know, you know, we don't want to hang out with them. And so, well, you know what? You might want to get to know them because it'd be a good thing if you're a part of this, you might be a part of this group. And they, you know, they said, oh no, 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 we're not going to be a part of this group because we're all going to get married by the time we're 30. Right now, I don't know what it's like today, but you know, back then in the 1990s, right, everyone wanted to get married before 30, and if you didn't get married by 30, then it was like, uh oh, you know, what's going on here? And that was a you know atmosphere back then. But you know, my wife was 31 at that time, and um, she knew me, and I knew her, but we just knew each other um, by. Um, you know, facial recognition, I really didn't know her. But and when she was 31, God told her not to date for three years. Could you imagine that? Back in that time when, when a person approached 30 and they weren't married, they would start getting really nervous. They would start getting really... And if you passed that line of demarcation, then it would, went from nervousness to panic, Right? Because I was supposed to get married before I was 30. And here my wife, 31, she felt God say to her, do not date anyone for three years. Well, it didn't make sense to her. You know, God, I'm 31. Why would you want me to do that? But she remained faithful and she obeyed God. Then after three years... I came into the picture, you know. So I told Grace, this is how you know that we, God called us together because he told you to wait for three years. And after three years, boom, you know, I'm your chosen one. You know, I know that she's doubted that at times, but, you know, it was through God's faithfulness that God brought us together. 
It was at his timing. It didn't make sense at that time. But she was faithful. And in verse 21, it says, And the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the temple. And when they came out, he was able to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs uh, to them remaining mute. Because he couldn't speak. And he was just trying to sit like this. And, he, but at, and when his time of the service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months... She kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I love that. Basically, he was saying, The Lord looked down on me. The Lord was watching me when people were pointing their fingers at me, when people were saying all of these bad things about me, when my life wasn't working. As faithful as I was to the Lord and I couldn't bear a child, the Lord was still looking down on me. And he took their shame away from her. Now this doesn't mean that if you're childless that God's going to give you a child. But what this does say is that God is watching. God knows what you're going through. God hears your prayer. And then in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Little did Elizabeth know that her son John was going to be maybe a, we think is a second cousin to Jesus, the Messiah. Here all of these years they prayed. They were praying for a child and they felt that God did not hear them. But when God did answer their prayer, he blessed them with a son that not only was going to turn the nation of Israel back, their hearts back to God, that he was going to be second cousin to Jesus, the Messiah. Do you feel that God is silent in your life right now? Are you crying out to him to receive something? And the question is, do you stay or do you go? Do you follow him despite what you see around you? Will you be that remnant that remains faithful to God even though you don't see things happening around your life? It could be at your work. It could be in ministry. Maybe you're in ministry and, I don't know, you're working with the youth, the children, or whatever ministry it is, and things aren't happening. And you think, well, you know what, God, I'm going to give up, right? Or do you have hope knowing that you believe that God is using you to turn people's hearts back to him will you be that small remnant that remains faithful in the midst of silence or maybe you're in college right now and you're looking at all of your friends and saying well look at they're all having so much fun why don't i have to live faithfully why do i have to obey scripture you know i want to go out there and do what they're doing right why do i want to do that and that's the question is do you remain faithful or do you go Right? 
Jesus came to establish his kingdom here on earth. And that's what brought great joy and hope. And now we look forward to the second advent when Jesus will return and his kingdom will fully be recognized and realized. And we could be a part of that. God asks us to be a part of that. And the question is, if you're going through a time of darkness right now where you don't see God, are you willing to stick it out and stay faithful even though you don't see God working, looking forward to the day that Jesus will come back? Because if you do choose to stay him, stay with him, you're not going to regret it. That's the only way to live your life. So I encourage you to live your life like Zechariah and Elizabeth. What's our weekly challenge? Well, our weekly challenge is to read Luke 1, 5 through 27. And I want you to identify any areas you feel God is silent in your life. Are there areas right now where you've just been praying, praying, and praying, and you just feel that God is silent? Identify those areas. And then pray that God will give you hope in the midst of his silence. And determine to trust God despite the silence in your situation. Let's pray. Worship team, please come forward. Gracious Heavenly Father, I know that there are some who are listening right now who are living in a time of silence where they may know intellectually that you're there and but they're starting to question whether you care. For year after year, their prayers go unanswered where door after door seems shut where dream after dream after a dream gets crushed and you look at the lives of those around them and they see others being blessed and they ask why not me what am I doing wrong But if that's you, I just want you to take a few minutes right now to remind yourself that God is listening. And so if there's something that you want to ask him, do so right now. Brother and sister, whether you receive silence or not, God heard your prayer. And God answers our prayers at the appointed time. And his time is perfect. And his he could answer your prayers in ways that you can't even imagine. So in the midst of your silence, of God's apparent silence in your life, I encourage you to remain faithful, to live righteously in hope. And it's not a wishful hope. 
but it's a hope knowing that God hears your prayers and God acts on your behalf and he will do so when the time is right. In your son's name we pray, amen.